Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by my friends over at ChopC60.com. If you haven't heard of Carbon 60 or otherwise called C60 before, it is a powerful Nobel Prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function, fights inflammation, and neutralizes toxic free radicals. I'm a huge fan of using C60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system, help your body detox, and increase energy and mental clarity. If you are over the age of 40 and you'd like to kick fatigue and brain fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. The products I use, I use their C60 in organic, MCT coconut oil. They have it in various different flavors. They also have sugar-free gummies that are made with allulose and monk fruit. They also have carbon-60 and organic avocado and extra virgin olive oil. When it's combined with these fats, it absorbs more effectively. And carbon-60 is great as a natural energizing tool because it really helps your mitochondria optimize your energy production. Now, if you take it late at night, for some individuals, it may seem a little bit stimulating. So that's why we recommend taking it earlier in the day, and it will give you that great energy, that great great mental clarity that you want all day long. It will help reduce the effects of oxidative stress and aging and really help you thrive. So again, guys, go to shopc60.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS to save 15% off your first order and start taking back control of your health today. Welcome back to the podcast. Got one of my favorite guests today, Dr. Nasha Winners. She runs drnasha.com. She is an integrative oncologist, naturopath, licensed acupuncturist, and a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. She lectures all over the world, training physicians in the application of mistletoe therapy and consulting with researchers on projects involving immune modulation via mistletoe, hyperthermia, and the ketogenic diet. She lives in Durango, Colorado. Her book, which she co-authored with Jess Higgins Kelly, is The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Really amazing book if you want to understand cancer and natural strategies to heal. Again, that's metabolic, the metabolic approach to cancer. And of course, we'll have a link in the show notes. And today we're talking about cancer and how to thrive in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. A lot about mindset and obviously practical application, ap applicable strategies for healing cancer. So you guys are in for a treat here. If you know anybody dealing with cancer, this is definitely the interview to share with them. Please share this podcast with them. And also, if you're getting value out of this podcast, take a moment and leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. That really means the world to us, and it helps us reach more people and impact more lives. Thank you so much for doing that, and thank you for being a part of our community. Let's go into the show. 
Well, Dr. Nasha, always great to connect with you. And I know you're one of the leading minds when it comes to natural oncology, natural cancer, holistic approach, and just really understanding what cancer is. And so I'd love to start there. And really this idea of like, how would you qualify longevity in general, and in particular with cancer? I love this topic. As I told you before you started recording, I think it's really important because often what happens is somebody gets this, the almighty C, you know, gets met with that. And somehow their belief systems, because of how our culture perpetuates it, it goes immediately into terror and immediately into I'm going to die and it's just a matter of moments before that happens. And so we make some assumptions that our longevity is somehow tied to this particular diagnosis in a really uh, kind of fragile way. And so I want to, I love that we get to start there with this. And so first of all, remember that the, the, the actual Webster's dictionary definition of longevity is a long duration of individual life, continuance, permanence, and durability. And when we hear that, one thing that happens in my mind is there's that concept between quality and quantity of life as well. And so there's that piece. And then also the concept of longevity, when you're given a, a really intense diagnosis such as cancer, what I think happens is folks actually forget, this is why I love that you're doing this summit, that over 93% of us are walking around on this planet with dysfunction in our body that actually is contributing to poor longevity. That will surprise people think. People will think that's mm -hmm. cancer at the top of the list, but it's metabolic fragility, metabolic mm. inflexibility. Yeah. Um, and so I think that this is really important to know. The other thing on longevity before we tie it into specifically to cancer is that in the United States for the last five or six years, I, I'm sure you have someone who's spoken to this, longevity has, is faltering. We're the only developed westernized modern nation on the planet today where our longevity is not only um, not improving or staying the same, it's getting worse. And we thought it was looking bad and we were commenting on this back in 2017, 18 and 19 when we started noticing this trend. You can imagine how much worse it's gotten since then. And so this really opens up our conversation today, which is what scientists are calling this longevity issue, this loss of longevity, the era of despair. And I, it, I even say that and it just, it weighs heavy on my heart because the very diagnosis of cancer can lead to despair, but people often forget sort of the chicken or the egg scenario, which came first. And so I think that's where we'll, we'll spend some time today about how this concept of longevity and cancer, where the two shall meet, maybe what came before that diagnosis and what we can talk about to empower a different outcome. Yeah, it's a great way to start. And, you know, most people in our society, when they think of cancer, they just think this is a death sentence. And the idea comes like, why me? Right. And that's usually what comes into people's minds. Is why me? Why now? Especially if, if somebody is young. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, they're not really giving good advice or, or, or a lot of encouragement oftentimes from the medical world. And there's also, they also have to, to manage a lot of emotions from the people around them, yeah. loved ones, um, yeah. friends, family who have heard different things about cancer. Maybe they've had a traumatic experience with somebody else. So they have to manage those, those things as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I boy, that that piece right there is ginormous. Um, in fact, when we have a, a little freebie handout on the five steps when you've been diagnosed with cancer or a recurrence of cancer, the first one is actually breathe and be still and mm. get very quiet in, into yourself and into your spiritual practice because of exactly what you said. There's a lot of, of well-intended advice swirling around you. There's a lot of really bad advice. And there's a lot of this very fear-based dynamic that's floating around. And so when we are in a state of duress, we are unable to make good choices we're unable to be clear in, in processing our, our emotions and what's going on for us. And we're easily distracted or swayed by other people's concerns. And so you've probably run across this. I know I have where I have a, a patient who's, who's very, very clear that they want to take a moment and think about a different approach to their cancer diagnosis. Maybe they're looking at doing something entirely different than what standard of care has to offer. Maybe they're looking at incorporating some things with what standard of care has to offer. And they may be getting the, the well-meaning advice of a lot of people close to them, including their medical team, especially their family and their loved ones saying, you can't do that. You have to do what the doctor says. You have to do this thing. And We'll tell you right then and there, that can be some of the most dangerous territory. We treat cancer, the diagnosis, like the medical emergency, but the diagnosis, the, the energy around the diagnosis is the emergency. And what will help you shift that is the way you meet those initial three words of you have cancer actually does determine very much so your longevity, your prognosis, mm. and your ability to meet this in a very different way. Yeah, for sure. Now, what what's your perspective on the cause of cancer or cause is, I should probably should say? Sure, sure. Well, we've been under this belief system and a medical system that really surrounds it of cancer is um, a, a disease of bad luck, a disease mm. of the aging that it's a genetic disease or what's known as a somatic mutation disease. In fact, we've been following this path of somatic mutation theory since 1914. Dr. Theodore Bovary is who sort of put that into the world around us. And um, that has been, we've put all of our energy, all of our money, all of our research, and it really picked up momentum in the 1950s with Watson and Crick finding the DNA helix. And so that's where we put our energy, despite the fact that our research suggests that this is not in fact a genetic disease, or at least that's not the starting point that we're being taught. So I'll get an example of how we've learned that is we've had multiple studies, multiple repeated studies over many decades that's, that looks at something called a DNA, a nuclear transfer study. So basically think about having two cells, one cell that's a healthy cell, one cell that's a cancer cell. And then in that side, that cell is a little like hard drive, right? It's the nuclei. It's where the, 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 the genetic material is stored. And so if this was truly a genetic disease, we could take the nuclei out of the cancer cell and replace the nuclei of the healthy cell. And if this was genetic, we would turn that cell into a cancer cell. Vice versa, if we took that healthy nuclei out of the healthy cell and we replaced the nuclei of the cancer cell, we should be able to correct and return that cell into a healthy cell. That doesn't happen. Mm. But what people like Dr. Mina Bissell all the way from the 1980s and many, many others, uh, researchers along the way have found is it's sort of like what that nuclei, that hard drive is sitting in. 
what's it floating in. So that's the cytoplasm, the, the jelly, the swimming pool within the cell, but even more specifically, the organelles that are in charge of what we initially thought were just in charge of making ATP, just in charge of making energy. Those are our mitochondria. And we thought those little buggers were just about making energy, but we've since learned that they're a, a sensing organ, that they are actually taking in all the information around them, food, light, um, you know, toxins, medications, thoughts, uh, you know, like all the things that's taking it in, this beautiful receiver, this beautiful antenna, it's making sense of that information and then sending signals out into the body. So that is where we're really seeing that when those get damaged, when they get sluggish or gummed up or, or damaged or killed off, we then become more susceptible to DNA damage. Those can be problematic. So that's something for folks to keep in mind. And then interesting, they're in charge entirely of apoptosis, programmed cell mm -hmm. death. So when they do sense that there's some damaged cells or deranged metabolic processes happening in some of the cells, they should respond to them and help clear them out of the building. All right. So that's where things start to go awry and where things like cancers take place. And then even more interesting in all of the field of people are spending billions of dollars a year on longevity and anti-aging products and anti-aging medicine. And the craziest part is our longevity is 100% dependent on the health and wealth of our mitochondria. Hmm. And that is where we make the link between cancer and longevity and the mitochondria and all of this is because basically you can have cancer and thrive with cancer. You, you weren't thriving hmm. until you realized you had cancer, but once you've learned you have cancer, you can turn that around and thrive with cancer and change this out because that's where your longevity is going to be coming from is you're tending to the health and wealth of those mitochondria. So that means whether you have cancer, whether you have other chronic illnesses, you want to focus your attention on priming and supporting and creating resilience and regeneration of your mitochondria. And this is why we're having this conversation and the dozens and dozens of guests that you have coming on talking about this over and over of the simple things we could do to make those mitochondria hum. Yeah, that's good. It's a common link behind really all chronic degenerative diseases is some sort of mitochondrial dysfunction. The mitochondria are not turned on not properly expressing themselves, or, or in a sense, I guess you could say they are properly expressing themselves for the environment that they're in. They've adapted. It's an adaptive physiology, yes. but that adaptive physiology isn't set up for your long-term health. And so you need to, in a sense, change the environment so that way those mitochondria now readapt to help promote long-term health. Exactly. And that's what I think is so cool is when you change what's happening inside the cell and the cytoplasm, you change what's happening at that mitochondrial level and the um, mm. rep cycle pathways um, yeah. that are processes happening within those little organelles, you can change the response to many therapies. You can change the response to epigenetic turning on and turning off processes. You can change and upgrade your resilience and your preventative mechanisms, but you can also upgrade your response and your support of the treatment of, yeah. of those mechanisms. And I think that there's, that's where people get, they freak out and they're like, okay, we have to throw 
everything at it that we can. And sometimes that's standard of care. Sometimes that's chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, targeted therapies, endocrine blocking therapies. Sometimes that's hyperbaric oxygen, high dose IV vitamin C, you know, all these other therapies. Those are all oxidative in nature. Mm. They strongly kick up oxidative stress and the, 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 the little creatures that have to deal with that are your mitochondria. So you can even overly do it with alternative therapies, which I actually see often as well, not just in the standard of care therapies. And so I want your listeners to realize we need to be a lot more nuanced and a lot more, I guess, like just delicate about the way we approach this, thinking a bit more as dance, this concept of adaptive theory. I love that you talked about that versus maximum tolerated dose theory of Mm. how do we push back just enough that our own body can swirl in and do what it was divinely designed to do, to take care of those mitochondria, to then take care of whatever diseased condition one is facing. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a different approach because, again, when people get something like cancer, usually it's the, it's the nuclear bomb approach, right? It's it's drop the bomb, you know, kill it as much as possible, and then rebuild from okay. there. What you're saying is it's more of the 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 gradual nudge, kind yeah. of nudging in the right direction, yeah. uh, or a, like a diplomacy if we're thinking about like uh-huh. you know instead of the nuclear bomb, right? Good diplomacy yeah. Yeah. and good conversation to create more peace in the body. Love that. That's that's gorgeous. That's I've never uh, heard it stated that way, but I think that is a very beautiful and elegant uh, approach. And and for me personally, that just seems so much more hopeful as well. And that does something to our genetics. That does something to the the health and vitality of our mitochondria when you're coming at it from a place of hope, of joy, of gratitude, of curiosity. Mm-hmm of purpose versus a fear of I must kill, eradicate, go to battle with, even the very monikers we use to deal with this. I mean, the war on cancer was initiated in 1971. We're almost 52 years into that process now. And we are, and that that idea, mind you, came out of a wartime, right? We were coming out of the Vietnam War and we really, it was such a, a, the ethos of our times globally, that that's what people could relate to. And yet we're also living in a time now where polarities are causing us much harm. This era of despair is causing us so much harm. And this disconnectedness, maybe connected more than ever with online, but lonelier than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a sign of our times that perhaps that's the angle in which we wanna approach it is leaving behind the outdated and antiquated war model and moving more into this place of compassion and understanding. Yeah, for sure. And in your book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, obviously you're targeting it from a metabolic approach. So you're saying, okay, let's get the mindset right and approach it properly with the right mindset And then we start to address it from a metabolic approach. Can you explain that in more detail? Sure. sure. Um, I'm not sure if anybody that you're interviewing is covering the concept of psychoneuroimmunology or psychoneuroendocrine immunology. It's a great topic. I, you know, (laughs) I know what you're talking about, but I haven't had anybody actually explain that in detail. Perfect. So that to me sort of explains what you just described here. So if we are in a state of duress, we tend to be revving our cortisol levels, Mm. which in turn revs our insulin 
levels because we need to, you know, run from the saber toothed tiger. So our body does this really cool physiology to save our lives, right? In the short term, in the acute, it sends resources to the muscles so you can run from your predator. That was great thousand years ago, even a couple hundred years ago, right? We needed those short term. But today we live in a perpetual state of running from this perceived saber-toothed tiger to the point where many patients that I ask them this question, I'm sure you've experienced too. And you're like, do you experience stress? You're like, nope. <laughs> Until you really <laughs> dig in, you start asking questions. You're like, tell me about your usual day, your usual routine. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And you realize that they are so the, the, you know, the frog in the boiling pot of water. They don't even know that the temperature is rising or has is bubbled over at this point. And so when that happens, you stimulate all types of growth factors. So insulin um, and its growth factors that it stimulates called aptly named insulin growth factor, that upregulates a lot of different signaling pathways to tell cells to grow, baby, grow, baby, grow, and also tells them ignore any apoptosis signal. So don't die, even if, you know, mm. something's trying to kill you and it ignores all these other signals. It kind of blinds it to what's going on that the studies differ a little bit, but anywhere as little as 70% of all of our cancer types to upwards of 90% of all of our cancer types are incredibly sensitive to this insulin signaling pathway. So if we're in a perpetual state of stress, duress, anxiety, um, running from the saber-toothed tiger, big and little t traumas in our lives, not dealing you know, with the big and little t traumas, not having the support in our lives in whatever way, it's literally impossible to change out your response um, and your ability to really get ahead of the cancering process. And what's even more interesting is a really good example is, is radiation therapy. This is, you know, when you look at the statistics, the, if you put all cancer types in a bucket from stage zero to stage four, and you put all of them in one bucket and you say, okay, if we put all these together, shake them up and we throw in some chemotherapy, what percentage are going to respond? And again, these studies have been done multiple times, but depending on where you are, there's an Australian study that has one, there's one out of Canada that has another, but two to 3% of those cancers are going to respond to chemotherapy. And they tend to kind of fall under the categories of testicular and lymphoma. The rest, however, are kind of, it kind of falls on deaf ears. When you do that same thing with that bucket, you shake it up and you throw some radiation in there, upwards of 12% of all those cancer types will have a response, meaning some reduction of the tumor burden. And um, if you shook all those up and you threw surgery into the mix, so just excision, removing the cancerous lesion, you will have upwards of a 50% response. You start to look at the tier that if you're gonna choose anything in the standard of care, surgery is probably your best bet, followed by radiation, followed by chemo. Sometimes they throw everything at it, including a few other things for good measure, hoping for the best. And we still just kind of eke it up, maybe upwards of about 60 to 70% of patients will have some type of response. That doesn't mean cure, that just means a little bit of cytoreduction. So I say that because one of the things that's very interesting about radiation is if patients have an elevated insulin level, if their glucose is high, if their hemoglobin A1C, their C-peptide, their insulin, their insulin growth factor are high, that 12% response we would typically see basically falls completely away. The mm. cancer cells become desensitized and protected by the sugar and desensitized to the radiation. And unfortunately what happens then is that the healthy cells take on the whole burden 
and they get damaged and their poor little mitochondria start to suffocate and behave badly and they become more vulnerable and whatever stem cells were in hibernation, cancer stem cells, they now mutate and are more aggressive and more difficult to kill. So we're even missing a really powerful opportunity to make somebody very metabolically whole and metabolically flexible and get their insulin really suppressed prior to receiving radiation all through the radiation treatment and for upwards of six to, to 12 months after because radiation is still doing its job in the body for many months after the therapy. If you can have somebody carbohydrate restricted, insulin um, suppressed, you can actually drive that radiation and make it even more effective than that 12% and less impactful on the healthy tissues and less deranged or mutated. And so it's like, why are these conversations not yeah. helpful to have? Our patients could be so served by this big knowledge bomb. Yeah, because cancer cells have 10 to 50 times more insulin receptors than normal cells. So again, you talked about like they're responding to these growth factors they are very fast growing and fast replicating cells, which is, you know, in a sense when, when in conventional medicine, when they're using the chemotherapy, the only reason really why it would work is because these cells uptake so much and they replicate so quickly. So, and this is why people lose their, their hair, yeah. right? Um, right? Because the hair cells do as well, right? right. And so, right. you know, you're killing off the cells that, that are quickly and, and also the white blood cells and the immune system. So th those are the main side effects people are experiencing with chemotherapy. And so you're trying to slow down in a sense, if you're able to do things to help make the cancer cells even more responsive yeah. when something comes in yeah. by restricting insulin, restricting carbohydrates, they're more, they're hungrier. So they're yeah, going to gobble exactly. up more of that chemotherapy. Exactly. They're hungrier and they're more vulnerable and they're right. to kill in a state of, that's why I love Dr. Longo's, you know, fasting before uh, chemotherapy yeah. His fasted mimicking diet has shown, and it's not even a low carbohydrate diet, but it's a, yeah. it's caloric restricting diet. Right. Even that sends different signals into the body. And so basically you're protecting the healthy cells when you bring on these metabolic supportive therapies um, from either caloric restriction or time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting or fasting mimicking diet or therapeutic ketosis or high-fat, low-carb ketogenic diet, all these different roads to Rome lead to the state of metabolic flexibility that creates beautiful flexibility and resilience and strength in your healthy cells while making the cancer cells more vulnerable and easier to eradicate. Yeah, and that's that's the whole goal right there. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite supplements. It's Paleo Valley's grass-fed organ complex. It's like a supercharged multivitamin that allows you to get a full spectrum of traditional superfoods loaded with nutrients into your body faster, easier, and without having to tolerate the taste. You see, grass-fed organ complex contains not one, but three organs. It contains heart, liver, and kidney, which are extremely rich in B vitamins, vitamin A, minerals, coenzyme Q10, key things like selenium. These nutrients support your energy, your mental clarity, your immune health, as well as your skin. And they're found in the most bioavailable form that our ancestors used to get. You see, whenever our ancestors would kill an animal, they would go right for the organ meat. So the most coveted parts 
because that's really where the life force was. They didn't understand nutrients, but today we know that's where the B vitamins, the CoQ10, the vitamin A, the key minerals are really concentrated in these organs as opposed to the muscle meats. And most of us are just not consuming organ meats on a regular basis, but now you can. You can get grass-fed organ complex, get these vital nutrients, they're freeze-dried to really preserve as much of the nutrients as possible. And you can take this again in, in, in replacement of some sort of a multivitamin that you may have been taking before. Guys, check it out. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash jockers and use the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off today. Yeah, you mentioned doing things like intermittent fasting or some sort of calorie restriction before doing any sort of oxidative therapy. And this is kind of the, the press pulse strategy that Dr. Thomas Safreed, um, I think he's at Boston College, I believe, right? Uh, right. Professor at Boston College has, in a, you know, he really adopted that or he he coined that term and you really took it and and, and really made a, a practical application of it in the clinical setting. But it's that idea of, we want to metabolically, we want to make the cancer cell metabolically fragile yeah. yeah, and then hit it with the oxidative therapies, which in the conventional model could be the chemotherapy or radiation or in a natural model could be things that you talked about, IV vitamin C, hyperbaric oxygen. Can you explain a little more how that, how that's going to work? Sure. So when, so in our healthy cells, when we go through the Krebs cycle in our mitochondria to make ATP, we actually do release and create a little bit of oxidative stress. These little reactive oxygen species get let kind of released in response to making energy. It takes a lot of energy mm -hmm. to make energy, right? And so that little bit of ROS creates what is known as a hormetic effect. Mm. So yeah. hormesis is that good stress that upregulates and creates resilience in the human you know condition. And so you need a little bit of that to push. But as I mentioned, on the planet today, virtually all of us are being exposed to a lot more ROS, a lot more reaction reactive oxygen species on a day-to-day -day basis from our cell phones and our um, poor sleeping and eating habits and our lack of movement and our increased stress and our increased traumas and the toxicants that are coming our way that are just kicking up and up and up and up and up that, that reactive oxygen species. And so what happens is that overwhelms the system. Weirdly, when we shift into a cancer process, those that ROS is damaging the healthy cells, but it's actually giving fuel to the cancer cells. So you have to bring in these therapies that are going to kind of start like kind of stall that oxidate that um, oxidative pressure for just a moment so that they're kind of confused and then you hit them on a second time. So it's this it's this like Trojan horse effect. So when someone's fasted or caloric restricted or in a fasting mimicking diet program, those cancer cells, as you mentioned, they're kind of desperate and confused. It's like, wait a minute, where's my usual fuel source? What's going on? What's going on? And so the second you introduce it with a therapy, it will, it's like, it doesn't look both ways before crossing the street. It'll just dive right out there into the traffic and gets, you know, obliterated by the bus. Right. So hmm. that's ultimately what we're, we're doing with this is that we're sort of surprising those cells and our healthy cells, for instance, have in their in their cell walls, they have this ability to meet things like peroxidases, um, these these 
reactive oxygen species in a way and dissipate them or moderate them or mediate them. So when our healthy cells are exposed to high doses of IV vitamin C, for instance, they are just like nothing, no problem. I can break that down when it comes my way. Not a problem at all. The cancer cells do not have that same uh, process in their cell walls. So they can't survive in that information, you know, with that, with that information of the vitamin C coming their way. Now, over time, those cancer, they get, they outsmarted, they outwit it and they find a workaround and they can start to gobble up a lot of things. So maybe you start glucose for a while and they find a workaround for methionine or for glutamine or arginine or cysteine. But this is what's so beautiful about fasting, right? And periodic short get in, get out or longer, depending on what your goals are. You don't have to be so frankly schooled in biochemistry or in all of the things of metabolic oncology that's out there that will blow your mind in the cell line study world. You can simply turn off the faucet of a lot of the things that could be fueling those cells. And depending on where the patient is in their state, what's going on, what other therapies might be on board with them. Short fasting can be a strategy, longer fasting can be a strategy and everything in between. And so this is what's really fun is I cannot believe that this beautiful therapy we have all co-evolved with is available to every one of us on mm-hmm. the planet, <laughs> despite yeah. your your background, you know, and oh my gosh, it's even been used historically in every spiritual practice mm-hmm. on this planet, which is such a powerful way to reconnect us um, from the cell to the, to the organ, to the tissue, to the whole body, to the people around you, the planet around you and spirit. It all just weaves us together in this really elegant way. And so that's where it, it's like, when we look at some of the most profound strategies we can use for both the prevention of, treatment of, or cleanup after a cancering process, which as of this week of, of August in 2023, we just unfortunately graduated to one in two of us are expected to experience a diagnosis of cancer in our lifetime. So wouldn't it make sense that don't wait to flip the coin, you know, you could start to impact your overall well-being strength of your healthy cells, creating some vulnerability in any potential cancering or ill cells within your body, reconnecting the communication of your cells, the communication of your organs and tissues, the communication of your mitochondria and how they take in the world around you, but also a communication and reconnection to self, other, and spirit. And those are things that I think are really under um, expressed or understood in the potential of what this type of, of therapy can offer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's really powerful. And I always say fasting is the most ancient, inexpensive and powerful healing strategy known to mankind. All of our ancestors have done it. We wouldn't be alive as a, as a species if we couldn't fast because food wasn't always prevalent. It's not like today where we've got a refrigerator and pantry. We can survive a month without, you know, without reloading. Right. Exactly. Um, Our ancestors didn't have that luxury. So they had feast or famine when food was available, they ate and they, you know, ate as much as they could because you really couldn't store it very well. And you didn't know when when your next meal was going to be. So you ate well, but then you also had times of famine and it was kind of this cyclical approach in our society today. We have to be very intentional about doing that and applying that. Right. Right. And I really appreciate it because we were built to be a hybrid engine. We were built to be able to tolerate um, those moments of famine. 
And, and we did so by being able to start to utilize a different fuel source, you know, from ketones, from ketone bodies that allowed us to create this clarity mm. yep. that helped us stay present to find that next meal. I mean, that's, that, that was like the, the incredible evolutionary process of that. It's like, we need you clear. We need your brain clear. We need you connected. We need you intuitive. And so ketones. Yeah, the, I mean, the best hunters, <clears throat> the best hunters were, were fasted a few days. They hadn't eaten or at least eaten well in a few days. And so the ketones were elevated. Their dopamine was elevated. Their norepinephrine. So they had better concentration, mental clarity, no inflammation in their brain. Right. And they were just, they were more creative. They were more resilient, better endurance. Right. And so they were primed, ready, ready for, ready to hunt. <laughs> I have, that just gives me chills because think about now, what does the opposite of that look like? And Thanksgiving then you when, you know, after you, <laughs> 100%, but like, yeah, an hour after about, Thanksgiving, right? Like that, but it's like when you then pan across the globe, yeah, this dullness, this addictive behavior quality, because we're also dopamine deficient. Yeah. We're quickly trying to refuel those dopamine and that quick fix in our energy falsely through carbs, 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 you know, just because of that, we can't go a couple hours without food. We obsess on it. We freak out about it. We're in front of the screens. We're in front of all the light exposures that are tweaking our brain more and more, and we're getting duller and mm. more uh, overwhelmed, muddied in our thinking, loss of clarity, loss of creativity. I mean, heck, look at, this is like why I look at the chat GPT. I was like, oh, is this our, is this our, our final nail in the coffin? Because no one has to be creative anymore. Right, <laughs> no one right. has to use their, their, thinking, their thinking caps any longer. They don't have to be critical thinkers. You can just like plug in and spit it out. And there you go. It's like, what's that movie with the, the, we, the, where they're all like moving around on little uh, carts because no one's got any bones left. They're just like big pudgy things on little move, move about vehicles. We're moving into that phase that we're literally not engaging what all of the gifts were that we came here mm. with, you know, and it's just incredible to me. So I, I love how you just described the clarity um, and the, the strength and vitality of the, the hunter, the hunter gatherer, and then to then compare it to what it looks and feels like after your Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> it's like yeah. perfect, perfect uh, contrast. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's fine if every now and then you have a big meal and you feel that way. But when you're doing that every single day, like most people are multiple times a day, yep, exactly. that's yep. when you start really creating a lot of metabolic damage in the system. Exactly. Now, I know you've used this term cancering. Yeah. You've used it in this interview. We've talked about it in the past. I think this is really important for people to understand. Most people don't really see chronic disease like this, but I think it's a really great perspective for the audience. Sure, sure. So I use that term very purposefully because we do actually all of us all of us without fail have cancer cells in our body they may be very well living quietly synergistically symbiotically even within our systems and we know nothing about their existence right they're not causing us any harm but when they pick up momentum when they get the upper hand when they hijack our metabolic pathways, when they hijack our fuel systems for their own growth and their own mobility around the building, then and only then do we start to become aware of their existence and that they can start to get out of hand. And so that is an active 
process. That is um, a verb and not a noun. And so the noun exists in all of us all the time, but the process doesn't. Except for, as I mentioned sadly earlier, we're finding that you know, one of two of us will likely uh, be meeting that verb in our lifetime. Um, so this is that place that also suggests that, okay, it's an action verb, but it, that means it can also be put back into a state of quiescence or symbiosis. That's just like, Hey, I, I live here. We're, we're fine. No harm, no harm, no foul. And that also helps, I think, people retrain their mind into thinking that you have to combat this, that you have to kill this, battle this, go to war with this. Because once you realize it's just you all along, the last thing you want to do is to fight yourself. And to then, as you said it so beautifully, like, let's go and have a conversation and understand what's going on here and see if we can come to an agreement, like that diplomacy approach. For me, the cancer ring, that active process is just a messenger telling you that you need to do something differently. And that that's and it's going to be unique for each of us as to what mm-hmm. that different thing might be. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's it's really that message. And it's 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 a wake up call. It's time to take inventory of your life, inventory of yeah. your thoughts, inventory yeah. of your behaviors and shift things around because things aren't working the way that they should particularly for health and longevity and, and optimal well-being. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I love it. It's like we've made the full circle back to the word longevity because I, you know, I, I, I think about the longevity in my family of origin. Um, the women all live to be over 100 years old. And um, the first few, my Aunt Grace was 111 when she died. Wow. I mean, she was up there, you know, her story, she wrote yeah. her book. She wrote her first book when she was 80. She learned to swim when she was 88. You know, she, she <laughs> came across Colorado in a covered wagon. I mean, I like, it's just incredible. Like of where she was my, what she was doing. I was at her, I was three years old at her hundredth birthday. You know, like I, I like can remember the vitality of this woman, you know, that up until just the last couple of years of her life, you would, it would be very hard pressed to guess how old she was. Whereas just a little bit later, not very much further behind that, my other grandmother, she was 103 and she spent the last 10 years of that time, basically blind, deaf in a wheelchair, completely in solitude, really no joy, no vitality. And that was just painful to watch. It felt like a gift and a blessing when she left, you know, it was so hard. And then the next generation, her daughter, my grandmother, my grandmother would have lived into those ages, but she was over-medicated and she died of a properly prescribed pharmaceutical that snuffed her candle at 93, you know? And so it's like, I look at that and I'm looking at my mom's health at 76, who's not as healthy as her mother was at that age. And so when I'm now, I will be 52 this August, uh, September of 2023, When I look at my family of origin, I'm the eldest of the cousins on my mom's side of the family. And I'm, and if they're listening, I don't think anybody would argue with this, but I'm, I'm healthier than everybody because I have taken that inventory. Hmm. I have met my mortality on more than one occasion with a cancering diagnosis. I know what it takes to create uh, balance and wisdom in my own body and listen carefully to my body and give it what it needs to thrive um, in my body. And a lot of folks wait until they have that dire condition or they're meeting their mortality before they are even interested 
in making those changes. And so for me, maybe the luck was that I was diagnosed so young. And, and that has put me on a mission of being very different in the way I age. I would love to be 111, like my Aunt Grace, with as much of her vitality on board until the, the, final, the final moments. I definitely don't want to do it the way my other grandmothers have. Yeah, for sure. And and obviously, you know, as a cancer survivor yourself, you've had this personal experience. You walk through all of this. And uh, so you're really speaking from a, a level of not only authority in it, but also personal experience with this. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously you didn't have the knowledge that you had that you have now, clearly, you know, when you were first diagnosed, and I believe you were what, 19? You were you were a teenager, right? Yeah. 19 years old. Yeah. My yep. Yeah. Right. Right. And so what would be your advice? And we'll, we'll kind of close out with this. What would be your advice? Like so somebody gets a diagnosis, maybe they got a diagnosis in the last month or last week, and they're listening to this. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe they have a family member. What should they do? What are what are things sure. that they should look at? What are things that they should be doing right now? Absolutely. Well, as we started to say earlier, take a moment, breathe. Don't do the temptation and jump on Dr. Google. Don't start to talk to everybody and their dog and their aunt of this is how my aunt's dog's sister's brother did it. Like you've got to get still, you got to get quiet. So take the time. It's not a medical emergency at that time of the diagnosis, unless it's obstructing something. I mean, there's obvious, those are very rare moments, but once we typically are met with the diagnosis of cancer, we have some time to make some decisions. So take a moment, be quiet and listen to maybe what the message is for you. Number two, get not only a second opinion, but even a third. You put 10 um, oncologists in a room, you're going to get a lot of different um, different uh, opinions. So know that. But don't just take their opinion. Put together a plan of test, assess before you address. So get as much data about yourself as you possibly can before you make a treatment decision. Get all of your information, do your own research and know what they're actually offering you and see if that's a fit for you. And then you want to assemble your team. That team, you need your tumor expert. You need the person who knows your tumor, your tumor type, that world, the standard of care model, but you also need your terrain expert. Okay. You need someone who understands that you are a person with a diagnosis. You aren't a diagnosis. Okay. That's very important. You also need to make sure the questions you ask in my book, I have a 10 questions to ask your oncologist. If they can't answer those questions to your liking, please keep shopping. That's very important. And please know that they don't have to know about integrative or alternative medicine. They just have to be willing to hmm. be a partner yeah. of this process. You are the CEO of your board. <laughs> They're a board of advisor, right? That's all they are for you. And so you assemble that team. It may have a nutritionist. It may have a pastor. It may have um, a, a child care person. It may have a body worker. You, whatever feels like you need to bring around your team, that's very important. And then adapt. You've used this word a few times. It is adaptability in my version of the CDC, <laughs> not the uh, center of disease control, as we've all learned, is circadian rhythm. Mm. Simple, yeah. simple, simple, simple. Super important. Right. And I really hope you have people talking about that on yes. this. There's so much on that. So we'll leave that for that for them to talk about. But like literally watch the sunrise, sunset. Make sure you're turning off your electronics. Make sure you're unplugging your electronics in your bedroom. Turn off your Wi-Fi at night. Get your circadian rhythm toned. Know where the full moon is. Know where the sun's rising and setting. Get back into the rhythm of nature that will also get your internal rhythm going. The second part, the D, the diet. 
which is critical. We are all overly fed and undernourished today. Mm -hmm. Most of us are in, I would say 93% or better of us are way overnourished in the carbohydrate world. So we need to carbohydrate restrict pretty drastically in the modern times of our diet. And one of the simplest ways to do that is precisely what you're all learning in this beautiful summit is ways to do that through um, from fasting and fasting mimicking and caloric restriction, time restricted eating and all the different ways to achieve this. And the final C of that CDC is community and connection. Mm. And that's just huge that you also don't have to do this by yourself. And if you are, one thing I want your folks to listen, hold on to at the end here is we're also the expression of the five closest people in your, in your world. If those five people that you spend the most amount of your time with don't absolutely feed your soul, don't absolutely help you grow, help you feel supported, loved, and held and safe in this world, you need to reconsider those five people or those Mm. five places in your life, because that's the constant field that you are in. And that community connection piece, it could actually be one of the biggest contributors to why you got sick to begin with. So focusing on a new CDC, an upgraded CDC would be the advice I would give to everybody after kind of following those five main steps. I think that's great. You know, that first C circadian rhythm, so many people, I mean, they're going to bed super late. They got blue light on late at night. Sleep is just way off. So really, really doing your best focusing in. I I really love how you simplified the CDC. So it's just optimize your sleep. You know, we have, you know, I've done many different interviews on on sleep, lots of content on my, my website, on your website related to that. That's something that people really need to prioritize is getting really good sleep, dial in the diet, you know, intermittent fasting, like you mentioned, carb restriction. You know, one of the simplest ways to do it is just take out grains and process sugar, you know, yeah. eat fruit, vegetables, healthy meat, healthy fats, right? Take out all the processed vegetable oils. If you just stick with those things, right, you're going to do well from a diet perspective and then try to c- compress that eating window, um, which, you know, if you're listening to me, you know, I talk about this all the time, just getting that, that stop snacking, right, right off yeah. the bat, three yeah, meals yeah, yeah. a day and c- start compressing that eating window. You may notice that you feel better with two meals a day or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And so compress that eating window. Um, and then that third C is consider your community, the people you're, you're around, the voices that you're hearing, the podcasts you're listening to, the yeah. news that, you know, what's on TV, Exactly. Right? All of those, it yeah. might, you might have positive people around you, but if you're listening to, you know, uh, stressful news all day long, that's not helping you either. So, um, yeah. you really have to clean up the community oh. around in a sense, you know, per, create a community around you that will help foster healing. I think that's really, it's, it's a simple idea. It's something people can wrap their head around. Not, not to say that all those things are easy, right? but, but it's a simple enough idea that people can wrap themselves around. And really, if you can master those three things, you're creating an environment where your body can heal. Absolutely. You, those little mitochondria antennas are just squealing with joy when you really tune up that CDC. Yeah. So good. Now, Dr. Nasha, you, obviously you have an amazing book. I would recommend everybody get The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. If you're somebody that, you know, perhaps is, has cancer in their family history, like I do, um, has experienced it personally, or if you're just somebody that really is interested in health and you really want to learn about health, that's that's one of the best books you can get, Metabolic Approach to Cancer. But you're also training, you've been training other physicians, other healthcare practitioners through your Metabolic Terrain Institute of Health. Tell people more about that and how they can get get plugged into that. 
Sure. Please go and take a look at mtih.org. This is our nonprofit where we are building our network of physicians. We're training physicians in metabolic approaches to life, metabolic approaches to cancer, metabolic oncology, metabolic health in general, metabolic medicine in general. Um, we now have 155 to, to the time of this recording, 155 physicians in 16 countries. And we bring on two new cohorts a year in September and February of every year. We also are training patient advocates. So they're our beautiful liaison. They're the bridge between the physician and the patient. And they're there to help in those inter, in those between moments and like hold people's hand through the process. Like go to the grocery store with you, help you clean out your pantries, help you really understand how to apply all these things that we talk about in the book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, and what we talk on the podcast and whatnot, like how do we make this actionable? And so that is something that's growing. It's our nonprofit. Our nonprofit is also uh, raising funding for research in this arena, in the whole metabolic health space, metabolic medicine space, metabolic oncology space. And then we're also build, raising funds to help patients be able, who we know that getting an integrative approach to your cancer is not something that's going to be covered by your traditional medical systems. And so we also raise funds that can be tagged for patients to get them grants to see people mm practice integratively. So we're very proud of that. And then eventually we'll have our the very first um, residential integrative oncology hospital and research institute here in the United States. And so we're also Love seeking it. funds and raising that. So we hope that becomes a model of healthcare all over the planet, not just in Southeast Arizona, but we're very proud of building that and trying to make this accessible to all, accessible to all. That's great. So you're doing such great work. So people can find somebody that's been trained in your program through Metabolic Terrain Institute of Health, just mtih.org. And also right. practitioners can go there as well to get get this training and uh, get trained up in this. And also people that want to donate to this can go there as well, make a donation. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate that um, opportunity because we want folks to feel empowered. And a yeah. lot of times the resources aren't there for them to make that next step. And so we want to remove that obstacle. And this is an opportunity to do that. That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Nisha, always great to connect with you. You're doing such great work and uh, love your message. And I know my audience got a lot out of this. So thank you again so much for your time. Guys, check out Dr. Nisha. And we'll see all of you guys in a future interview. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.